Hey, welcome to Ordinary. This is a project where I talk to human beings uh, and explore their life a little bit. Ordinary started as just a film project idea. I wanted to interview artists uh, for about an hour, synthesize those interviews into one to two minutes, and then um, explore kind of the ideas of that synthesis visually um, and create a one to two minute film, um, kind of really diving into the core of these artists. What I quickly realized in that was that taking a uh, hour-long interview and cutting it down to a minute or two meant we were gonna lose out on a lot of what these artists had to say. And in this first interview, I just realized there's so much good content here. So quickly decided that we would also release this in a full interview format. So what we're about to dive into is the first in that series. This is an interview with um, the ceramic artist Brielle Macbeth. She has her own ceramic studio called Dust and Form. Um, and so Krista, Kester, and I were fortunate enough to interview her in her studio at the Northrop King Building in Northeast Minneapolis. So if you haven't checked out the video for this yet, you should definitely do that. Uh, it's about two minutes long. You can find it at ChristopherBainan.com slash Brielle. And yeah, so we'll dive right into the full interview. Here we go. Apparently we have 23 hours of record time. We're good. We'll do a 23 hour interview. How does that sound? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like one of those experimental films. Show it at the locker for 23 hours. Yeah, so. just Brielle talking. <laughs> it would not be the first time I've spent all night in this place, though. So yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, I'm right, sure. I'm not? sure. <laughs> um, so obviously, we know what you do, but um, tell us like what you do, and yeah, start there. I am a ceramic artist, or also known as a ceramicist. Um, I like ceramic artists better, though. It just makes rolls off the tongue easier. And I have been working in the studio at the Northrop King Building for the past two years, um, making and producing ceramic wares or um, like a porcelain type product of um, high-end dinnerware and uniquely designed items for the home. So. I've been kind of having this brainchild slowly evolve and it started more out of like a frantic search to find the studio space when I was out of college. I had some people approach me about doing some work and I was like, all right, I got to get my act together and find a space. So, um, so that's how it happened. And then um, I started Dustin Form as like an official company because I didn't want my name to really be attached to the work, um, just with the idea of someday hoping that this could grow into a bigger brainchild. So, nice. <laughs> yeah. cool. What? Yeah. Uh, why Dustin Form as a name? Yeah, um, I actually thought about it for a really long time because I uh, wanted something nice and catchy, but also something that could kind of be like I know that right now there's this kind of maker's movement, like everything is blank and blank. Um, I will note that I did it before that happened, but it's okay that we can cut that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Dustin Form kind of emerged from this idea that this whole process is it's a very temporal thing. Like 
the materials I'm using, the molds that I have, just everything, it's, it has a, a life expectancy. Like at some point, um, I won't be able to use these molds anymore. The materials that I have, they're it's basically like dirt or different chemicals. Um, and, but yet when it comes together, it's this really beautiful kind of formulaic refined moment. And in the beginning of doing this, I thought a lot about that and about kind of this like, you know, I call it my, my fascination with temporary brilliance. Like there's this kind of fleeting nature to making and life. And I mean, we could bring the metaphor to like all areas, but um, for what I do, I just kind of wanted to encapsulate that as more of a philosophy um, and dust and form was the easiest way to do it in the name. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so why, let's, let's go back a little further. Why mm. ceramics? Like wh what got you into that in the first place? Totally. Like as an origin? Yeah. Um, that's such a good question. So it's funny. I did ceramics all throughout high school and loved it. I was obsessed with throwing in the wheel and thought it was the greatest thing ever. I went to college and when I was sitting in the office with Joe Smith, my advisor, I was like, well, <clears throat> well, this is actually before he was my advisor. I was sitting talking to him in his office and I was like, oh, what is the one thing that I know I can do that I won't get sick of? And up until that point, I'd been like really into creative things and art and whatever. So I was like, all right, I'll be a studio art major. Mm. <laughs> Like, and I honestly hated it for most of my college career. I wanted to switch my major every other semester. I have professors who can attest to that. I was a very difficult art student, but I think a lot of us are. Um, and ceramics just kind of became like a default in the beginning. But as I learned more and got attached to um, Heather Bren specifically as my professor, she showed me different methods of making that actually really drew my attention and, and just kind of like entranced me a little bit. Um, when I was a junior, I really wanted to learn how to do glass blowing. I was, a, I was very fascinated with that process and this kind of fluidity that just gets like frozen in time, you know, like there's this moment of like molten lava and then it's like not anymore. And I loved that. I loved thinking about that. And as, um, as I talked with her about kind of what was drawing me to that specific craft, we started discussing slip casting and how to create forms that still had that same movement, that same fluidity, um, but just in ceramics. So that's how this kind of originally started was actually wanting to do something else. <laughs> I feel like as often it does. Yeah. <laughs> Something start. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yep. What made you keep going with the industrial ceramics rather than like wheel throwing or mm -hmm. maybe describe how that sure worked out? Um, I'm a perfectionist and it's something that is like a very obvious quirk of mine but only in, in this area, actually, in a lot of other areas, not as much. Maybe that's not true, scratch that. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't like the inconsistency of wheel throwing. I didn't like the fact that my hand was so prevalent on the object. 
Um, I, I really appreciate that in other people's work. I think it's a very beautiful aspect of wheel throwing and just making with clay in general. You can see the artist's hand so overtly. But the forms that I was interested in making, I really wanted to remove my hand and to have it be, um, in a sense, more uh, maybe straightforward. I'm not sure if that's the right way of putting it, but I just wanted like a stark, a stark object versus a kind of like abstract, I'm an artist, you can tell that it's from me. Mm -hmm. Originally, I was like, I really want to work for Ikea, and I want to have my stuff there, so I need it to look like it's made in a factory. <laughs> I never want to work for Ikea, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When did that desire end? Um, shortly after it began. Yeah. Mainly when I was like, oh, no, that's actually not what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How would you say the... Um that fluidity and that kind of like frozen fluidity is shown in your work now? Yeah. Um, specifically, I think it's most most overt in my mugs. The handles and the forms, they're organic, they're curvy and have kind of luscious moments to them. Um, and they have kind of this like nice ergonomic side that it just feels good when you touch them there's curve yeah there's curves and it's nice um my other stuff i think is just a backdrop of my mugs i mean that i think that's what took the longest to kind of think about and develop and um the other pieces i don't i don't know um i have a bowl that's kind of lopsided i mean i like things that are just a little bit off kilter um, to, enough to kind of make you look at it, like do a double take and then move on. So most of the things have some sort of imbalance, but it's like still very subtle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. For people who don't know much about ceramics, yeah. what is like <clears throat> quick synopsis? What is the process like for going from yeah. this is an idea to you know a, a bowl or a mug or sure. something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, it's a little bit different than what most people think of when they think ceramics. Most people, when I say I make ceramic objects, immediately they think that I do things on the wheel because that's just the most prevalent image that I think we have in the like mainstream younger ceramic world. Um, for my process, it's much different. I think of an idea and then I have to come up with making that prototype. So that's where the 3D sketching comes. I'm not physically 3D sketching, but it's, it's troubleshooting um, like size and shape and just the form of it in a, um, in a prototype model. And that's often in plaster. I also have, foam that I sometimes use and I'll use other objects and put them together but the prototyping is the beginning part and then from there I'll make a mold um, so uh, basically I go from a negative form I'm sorry I go from a positive form to a negative form and then with that negative mold form I can mass produce that object over and over and over again um, and then I 
put it in the kiln once, it comes out as a bisque object, I glaze it, then I put it in the kiln again, and then you have whatever you're drinking or eating out of. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, is there is there collaboration with others in your world or in this world as a whole, or yeah. how does that look for you or for ceramics as a whole? <laughs> totally. Um, you know what? One thing that I've noticed about the ceramic world presently is there's kind of two different two different worlds within people who do ceramics. So there's this very traditional, um, beautiful more old school, if you will, type of making and much more, often it's much more conceptual and people, yeah, it, it's just, it has a little bit more artfulness to it. And then you have this new movement of young people who are starting to do ceramics and starting to make really amazing things. And the style is much more like, Kind of hip and in the quote-unquote maker movement, if you will. Um, I don't personally collaborate much with people within the ceramic world, but I definitely do draw from both sides to try to make both like a functional sculpture and something that just like works and you don't have to think about it. So, <clears throat> you know, what I try to do is have there be a little bit of a mix, this like high art meets craft. And um, and so, th yeah, that's what I try to do with my work. But I'll tell you, gosh, there are so many other people who just do such amazing things with clay and mm -hmm. I have a lot to learn. I'm, I'm aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it's cool to, I don't know, think about that influence that could trickle right. down from the community as a whole, from both those right. who have kind of gone before and those who are coming up. Well, and I, I think, quite frankly, the difference and the biggest divide between those two subgroups is social media. Like, the fact that younger people know how to harness social media, know how to put really basic things out there that, for people who do clay, we're, we kind of look at it and we're like, oh, that's normal. But for other people who aren't really invested or have been exposed to the type of processes that are within the clay community, it's this like incredible, beautiful thing to witness. So I think that is a huge difference between these kind of like patriarchs of ceramics, you know, who just are so badass and like really good. And then these like youngsters who are still really good, but like, just don't have that depth of experience in them yet. Like I'm thinking of a few people who I think their work is unbelievable, but because it hasn't been blasted to social media or it hasn't kind of been exposed to this like younger generation, um, they aren't as well recognized and it's kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's, I think that's a huge difference between kind of the different. Yeah. That's an interesting observation about the the influence of social media oh in that transition. I feel like yep. that's probably across the board in yep. all art forms. Yep. There's been so much of this, you know, we, we've kind of put art in the hands of everybody yes. and put display in the hands of everybody. Yes. And I think that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I will be totally honest. My business, this would be nothing if I didn't have Instagram or Facebook. It would be, I would not 
have any exposure. I would not have any sort of brand really to like kind of umbrella what I have. I mean, that's been a big part of making like this work. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm kind of teetering between two things as well. Like I have a small business and I have, I'm trying to generate income obviously. Um, and I have hopes of, of increasing the size, hiring people, having a small production company. But then there's a huge part of me that's like, no, that's totally going against the like individual independent artist in me who's doing the solo thing and almost making more beautiful things because there's like a more intimate story attached to it. So it's funny also to think about those two differences and um, I've, I've spent a lot of time observing how other, art, how there, other ceramic people are doing that and kind of balancing between this like sweet, intimate connection that you can create by just being that one person who makes those things versus having a small team but still having the name kind of carry this like euphoric experience. It's funny. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. How do you observe those things about people? Yeah, uh, honestly, Instagram. Yeah. I'm an Instagram like obsessor when it comes to finding other ceramic people. But no, I, I read Ceramic Monthly, which is a magazine that comes out, and I'm constantly getting ideas and just refining my own process with what other people are doing. Um, and I also have to kind of do some soul searching in myself like to figure out okay, well, what is my goal long-term, short-term? What do I hope to have this become? It still feels like it's very much in the incubator stage. Even though I've been doing it for two years, it's still very small. Um, but I would say I observe other artists and what they're doing right now, primarily for like the technical things, because I'm realizing my pitfalls, like, with some of my technical processes and I need to get them up to par to kind of maintain this like standard of uh, perfectionism that I have for myself. <laughs> Do you yeah. feel that from other artists too or other people? Like, Just because I feel like people talk a lot about like social media perfectionism when you see people's mm. lives and all they're doing and blah blah blah. I know, like, gosh. You hold yourself to that technically mm. or is it more just like about actually getting better at the molds and all those things. Yeah, um, that's a super good question. So I'll answer it two ways. For myself, I definitely have my own personal commitment of maintaining consistent with like a, a brand. Um, Dust and Form is a brand, it's not me. And that's part of why I made a distinction before in deciding to name what I'm doing, not after myself. Um, to keep that kind of distinction, I do view this like, yes, it's a passion I love making, but it is right now a job. And um, in a really good and beautiful way. I mean, I, I'm not complaining about that, but definitely with social media, I make sure that what I'm putting out there is just is consistent with the brand that I'm trying to build up. Um, but as far as the like, technical processes and kind of trying to make my work better, I really do care about that 
I think on a deeper level because um, I feel this funny pressure that I'm putting on myself from the ceramic proper world. You know, I, I'm not quite in that space yet um, where ceramic artists exist and they have really beautiful technical conceptual work that is not like production. So it's funny, it's like I have myself in these two different spots where I want to kind of arrive at this level of, of jiving with the ceramic artists who you know, are in galleries and making things that people will stop and look at and think about. But I also wanna make a paycheck and appeal to the masses. So it's funny, yeah, it's, it's funny to be in both worlds or to want to be in both worlds and kind of hold them in tension. Um, but the technical part for me is very important because if I don't have good technical work, then I'm not going to appeal to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, do you uh, <clears throat> do you ever? Because you were saying how Dustin Form is like a brand. Yeah. Do you ever work as Brielle outside of Dustin Form, and and what does that look like if you do? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I don't do a lot of projects that are not under the Dustin Form name, but I have a lot of ideas. I want to do other things. Um, recently, you know, this has been an awesome experience and an awesome thing that I'm doing, but I'm getting a little bored, like producing, and I have to produce in order to sell things. So <clears throat> that's part of what I'm signing up for. But I would love to do sculpture and more artistic work that can be on display and that I would put under my name as um yeah just as Brielle and it's it's less about yeah production stuff more about just really nice pretty things in the space kind of yeah <laughs> that's, a, that's a goofy little like half-hearted mobile I just started throwing <laughs> things together but I did make a set of mobiles for a friend of mine um a few years back and that was such a fun project to work on because it was using a different part of my creative process that I don't normally kind of tap into um so yeah I would love to do more things like that but gotta make the dollar bills <laughs> Mobiles don't sell as well as mugs do. <laughs> Does it, this is kind of an off-topic question. Mm -hmm. In your kitchen at home, do you have dust and form stuff, or do you have like plastic cups? Like, to, like that's hilarious. <laughs> I have a hodgepodge of in my in my home. I have nothing dust and form. I have only like Goodwill hand-me-down dishes, because Lord knows my roommates are gonna break whatever, and I don't want to put my stuff there. <laughs> In my real house someday, which will be soon, I do plan to make my own dinnerware. Um, but there's still a part of me that I don't even really use things in my studio that I would, like, I only use my crap containers, things that are seconds. I don't use anything nice of mine. It's a funny, weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a good question. People assume that I have this amazing array of dishes and I'm like no I don't keep any of it I don't have any of it at my house yeah. except the bad things <laughs> yeah <clears throat> do you like when you look at stuff you make do you 
and maybe you've kind of touched on this before, but I'm going to ask more specifically. Do you see yourself in that? Like, is it a reflection of you in any ways? And obviously, you're, you know, you've been talking about the brand and is different than yourself. Yeah. But, you know, it, it still is you that's making it. Yeah, so. for sure. Wait, wait for the train. Yeah, let's wait for the train. Totally. The train would be kind of long. <laughs> <laughs> the trains, oh, they're so all the time, day and night. And let's just add some more suspense to this moment. Those trains are carrying crude oil, uh-huh. which is extremely flammable, and we are in the blast zone. It's That's the thing. Wow. Like they tell you that when you rent here? Mm-hmm. Like you are potentially well, my, going my, to explode? My studio mate said <laughs> we're in the crazy. blast zone. Yeah. And I guess it's like a thing that <clears throat> it's a thing that people are trying to change, like as far as policy goes. But if something were to happen, heaven forbid, yeah, we would be dead. Like right. crazy? That's this nice. is making this interview much more real. <laughs> Hopefully this SD card survives. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to you. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> You want me to state the question again? No, it's okay. I, I got it. Um, with my work, I don't necessarily... F- well, I take what I do super personally. So no matter what, I feel like I'm in what I'm doing, even though it's right now repetitive and more production-focused, I still take what I do extremely personally. And so if there's a flaw in something or or something doesn't turn out, it's not just about like the brand itself having a hiccup. I feel personally like affected in a very emotional way. <laughs> something I'm working on. Um, but right now I don't know that I necessarily view myself in the work as much as I did when I first started. <clears throat> I hope to change that. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we're like, this is obviously your studio. It's a beautiful space. You were talking earlier about the sun, like streaming in the windows in the morning. And how does how does this setting yeah. affect either like the work itself or your work, like as a you know process? Yeah. So right after college, when I had to figure out what to do and if I wanted to continue making things, I moved all of my stuff into the basement of the house I'm renting. And my landlord was like, yep, you can create a mess down here. Just keep it in this corner. And it was such a, it was depressing as all get out because I was in this dark basement. It was freezing cold. Like my material was ice, which is a really bad thing. First of all, you don't ever want to do that. I didn't know. Um, It was just terrible. And so when I found this space and I realized I could exist here in the winter with sunlight still, it created this incredible motivation. I feel like having the ability to be here and have such a huge window and a gorgeous experience with sun and the breeze, it's just kind of idyllic. Um, And if I only look at this half of the area, it's nice and white and clean and clean for the most part. Um, Yeah, it just kind of fits with, with everything that I'm trying to do. Um, to create a clean, minimal, <clears throat> a clean and minimal aesthetic. So it's nice that it is all within a very good brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
definitely. Um, did that inspire the Dustin form brand or did that kind of come after? A little bit. They happened at the same time. Getting this space and calling myself something other than my name, it happened at the same time. So I knew right away I wanted to have some another name. And when I started thinking about it, I was already in this space and kind of ex- inspired by um, just the purity and yeah, it's just nice in here. I like it. <laughs> Except when it's 2 a.m. and I'm here and I don't want to be. It also does get eerie at night. I'll say that. It gets kind of eerie at night when I'm here by myself. I'm like, this would be a perfect place to be abducted. Are there a lot of people that stick around late at night? Surprisingly, in this building, there are not that many people who are night owls here. A lot of the artists who work in this space are full-time artists. They're here all day which actually now is an incredible thing because I'm here with other people. Whereas before I would come at this time, 7, 7.30, and work until 9 or 10. And if you look in the parking lot, it's almost empty. So it's nice to be on the flip side where everyone else is making. This is one of the biggest buildings in Minneapolis that has such an incredible art community it's just like we're a bunch of little ants in our little art anthill (laughs) like scurrying around doing our jobs um but i think this is the northrop king building is one of the most well-known spaces in northeast minneapolis so i'm also very privileged to kind of have that already worked into the studio space i don't have to drum up exposure i can get it a little bit by default just for being here which is nice yeah yeah um, I'm gonna go like existential mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and kind of curious about broadening out to kind of art as a whole. Yeah. Um, how do you see art, your art, art in general, kind of wherever you want to take it, but how do you see that relating to humanity as a whole? Yeah. I think it relates entirely. I think what we make directly affects what's in us, what we're thinking about, how we interact with the world. I think there's a very there's a very interwoven connection between those two things. Um, I mean, my my process, my name, all of that had had the idea of human existence. Um, how we're born, how we live, how we die, that kind of process, that is all interconnected to how I'm thinking about what I make. Even though there's a sense of repetitiveness and it's at points like there's a mun there's a mundane nature to how I'm making, I think about that all the time, that humanity and living and going through this world it's not always exciting and beautiful and extravagant. It's actually like pretty mundane sometimes. And that still can be beautiful if we acknowledge it that way. Um, I thought a lot about how people are a lot like pots. I mean, there's references biblically to that. And I think other people who don't necessarily align to that can still consider and think about like, a physical object representing 
kind of the lifetime of a human. And like, I understand that these aren't gonna last forever, just like my life is not gonna last forever and everyone around me is not gonna last forever, but I still want to take the opportunities that I have and make them really beautiful. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see it as at all, is there any connecting properties to what you do as far as human to human? Like, do you feel a connection with people who yeah. view your art or, or art of people you view? Or? Totally. Yeah, totally. There definitely is a connection from my hands to someone else's hands. And I used to think about that a lot more. Um, in college, I wanted to make sure that I was kind of enhancing other people's lives by what they were using in their general mundane life. Like if you're going to have a cup of coffee every morning, it will better be like a badass cup for your coffee. Why not? Why would you have just a boring cup of like, a, you know, anyway. Um, so I do think about that. I mean, I, I really want to, I want my work to be really appreciated and loved in a space. And I think it's made for that. Um, not in any way that I have this expectation people kind of worship what I'm doing, but I do like the idea of having small objects that can be in other people's homes and kind of know that that's out there, um, even though it's such a, a small, it's a really small thing, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That wasn't a very good answer, but I'm having a hard time think. I'm having a hard time saying what I'm thinking. Well, you're saying a lot of good things, so. Well, cool. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll work. Yeah, yeah. Um. I don't think all art can connect people. I do think there is a lot of art that can divide, but I'm trying to make art that connects people that connects experiences and that connects like little moments. You know, I used to think about how objects can cause us to pause in space instead of rushing through our day. I think there are certain objects that can prompt us to pause and sit and think for even a second longer and take a breath and then move on. Like I think if I could create for people little experiences that give moments of space and moments of pause and like almost this um uh what is the word i'm looking for like not sanctity but um kind of like a yeah a sacred experience i don't know yeah if, if something normal could be could be elevated in a small way like eating dinner if that could be kind of created in a more sacred space with sacred objects. I think that's nice. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very true. I was just thinking of, you know, Busy. Um, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. she made those little houses. Yeah. I ended up with one of those somehow and it's just sitting on one of my shelves and it, it is something like that. Like yeah. every once in a while I just like look at it and like, it, it's not like connected to anything, but I just like pause. I'm like, yeah. it's a little house. Like, and it, it just like, creates that kind of, little it's moment like a, of space. It's a euphoric experience to be like, oh, huh. And then we move on. Right, right. And it's yeah. like literally just a little ceramic square. And, <laughs> you know, no, totally. but, it, but it has that effect, that kind of transcendent yeah. effect, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I really like that a lot. I have that with a few mugs in my house and a few dishes actually. And I only use one fork. All of the other forks are like subpar in our house. <laughs> What's special about that one fork? Oh, it just feels so nice and it's like so smooth and like it's perfectly fits in my hand. I have this obsession with ergonomic things that kind of makes sense with our human body. Like, mm, it's good, so good. Anyway. Have you always had that appreciation? Um, trying to think. Did that come with studying different things about it? I think it definitely grew. Like I never really used to care that much. Um, but I've always been very particular about certain things in my life. Um, like th random things though. It's not like I'm particular across the board. My room is an absolute disaster right now. Not like, I mean, my car, it looks like I'm a hobo living out of it. So there are things about me that are not this like clean, refined, put together person. But then there are other things where I'm like so anally particular about. For example, when I was younger, I don't really remember this experience, but my dad will share it often where I was about like three or four and just through the biggest temper tantrum for an hour because I had a wrinkle in my sock and just couldn't get over it and my dad even like took off my shoe took off my sock did the whole thing again and I still was just as upset as could be because I had a wrinkle in my sock so things like that yeah, yeah. little things <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that's anyway. a good memory yeah that story. I know <laughs> I also did a similar thing because my ponytail wasn't tight enough. Oh. <laughs> I think I put my parents through a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I honestly, I come by it honestly. My grandpa and my dad's side of the family, they all have their little quirks and their little like things have to be just so, but only in certain areas of life. Um, and I think that's where this came from. Yeah, do you look back? on your childhood or your family and see different things that have kind of like led up to this point or maybe foreshadowing where yeah. you're at now. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Another story that my mom tells a lot. Um, when I was, again, I think three or four, I did a lot of things when I was three or four, maybe five, but I, I think I was younger. Um, I woke my mom up out of a dead sleep at like five o'clock in the morning with this grand idea that if Beanie Babies could make all this money and sell little stuffed Beanie toys, I could make Beanie Babies and sell, make a hundred Beanie ba Baby dolls and sell them for one dollar each and make a hundred dollars. And my plan was to do this and we were going to do it today <laughs> when I woke her up. So I came marching into her room and got right up in her face. This is according to her. Got right up in her face and was like, Mom, I want to make a hundred dolls and sell them for a dollar each and make a hundred dollars. We spent the entire day making one doll, um, but it's still at home. <laughs> so great. I've always That's had great. this like creative entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> because I see people and I'm like, well, if they can do it, goodness, mm -hmm. I can do it then. Yeah. And you learned math along the way, so now you know that yeah, you have to charge more than a dollar for I your know. pots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I make a oh. hundred 
Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it was the easiest. It was the easiest way. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. How does your family react to this? They're really supportive. My family is great. Um, both of my parents are very supportive with what I'm doing. Of course, they worry about things like money and making sure I'm okay. But for a very long time, both of my parents have been encouraging me to quit my job and just try it. I'm young enough where I can fall flat on my face and kind of get back up without a lot of consequences. So that's really helped. And Mitch, my fiance, is really supportive too. So it helps a lot to have people who believe in like what I'm doing. And it also helps that um, I have people in my life who are much stronger at certain things that I'm not. For example, I'm not very good at like crunching numbers and doing the business side of things. Even though this is, I'm trying to make this a business. I'm really bad at that part. <laughs> I can make the things. I have a harder time doing accounting stuff for that. Um, but yeah, I've a really supportive group of people around me. So that's huge. I think I take that for granted a lot. Yeah. Don't feel too bad. I don't feel like those things usually don't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 Let's talk to you know, ceramics people that are, or people that are interested in it and kind of getting into it and, you know, making their start or whatever, trying it out. Mm -hmm. What, what would you say to them? Don't give up and follow your dreams. Gosh. Well, for anyone who's interested in actually making something and trying to sell it and still maintaining a creative presence like I think the most important thing to do is still cultivate some sort of creativity in your day even if it's um, adjacent to whatever else you're doing like I've found that for me what's helped me kind of continue with this um, is not so much that I'm really being fulfilled right now with any sort of creative process. There are definitely moments of that and I want to do that more, but because I'm a one woman show, I'm doing the creating, the production, the kind of legwork that I don't necessarily have to be doing. Um, but I've found ways to maintain um, creativity in other areas of my life. Like I spent this past year totally redoing our house and like redecorating and buying a bunch of stuff off of Craigslist and that was a really fun project. So um, I also think that it's really important to know your strengths and to know your weaknesses and I think the the important piece about knowing your weaknesses and then is then trying to find people who help to fill those in. For example, nothing about my branding Dustin Forum I could have done on my own. I had really incredible people who helped me and who made it kind of what it is on the surface, you know? I don't know how to design websites or logos or kind of create this like all-encompassing persona 
um, but I had a lot of help with that, specifically with Liz and Joseph from Bodega. They were amazing. Um, and I also have Mitch who is more analytical and who can kind of break things down in a very much less emotional way. <laughs> For me, everything is emotional <laughs> because this feels like my child, this feels like my baby. And so when things aren't going how I want them to, I'm not able to just very calmly assess the problem. I have, I have moments of freaking out and anxiety, which I think is just how creative people process things. Maybe not all creative people, but I feel like it's just <laughs> how our brain yeah. works, you know? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, so thankfully I have really good people around me. I, I don't think, even though I'm doing this by myself, I'm really not doing it by myself and there's no way I could do it by myself. Room, room. <laughs> Can say that again? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so even though I'm doing this by myself, uh, I'm not doing it by myself. I have a lot of people who are helping me and there's no way I could do this alone without the support and the people who I've asked to help me. I think we got a lot so? of, that was a lot of Anything fascinating stuff. <laughs> it's just no. fun talking to creative people and mm -hmm. I don't know, there's some, yeah, it's just an enjoyable experience. Cause every, there's, there's similarities. Um, like there's kind of these through lines among creatives, but they're all, it's in su such unique ways and it's, it's just fun to see. Kind yep. of those differences and those similarities and how I they play out. I have anything to relate to non-creative people. What? Well, not everyone is creative, but like right. who don't do creative jobs. You are a non-creative. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everyone's creative. The people yeah. who say that they're not need to just tap in a little bit more. Right. For sure. I don't buy that I'm not creative. I'm not artistic BS. I think everyone has something in them that they can do really well and that in some way is an art form. Like fixing your plumbing or mowing your lawn can be a really beautiful creative experience <laughs> yeah which I feels like it, it it that idea is sort of embodied in the brand Dustin form because mm -hmm. your your whole thing is taking something that's an everyday thing yeah. and showing the beauty in it yeah. i think that's that's probably how you see humanity i, I would guess yeah is that there isn't a mundane thing no i think there is, there i think is. everything is yeah, under layers, however many layers you have to go, there's something there and in all of us that connects us to like each other and to what we do and how we use things in our lives. Like I think there's, it's not just this stark reality of meaninglessness. <laughs> it's a much more hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> That was like a Minnesota goodbye finish. Yeah, it's We'd okay, like yes. to refinish this. <laughs> cool. I think let's 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 call that good. We're at 52 minutes. That was great. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that as much as Krista and I did. Um, if you did enjoy it, stay tuned. Um, we will definitely be doing more of these. This was a really good experience. Um, so more will be coming down the road. Uh, following my Facebook page, Christopher Bannon, is probably the best way to kick. Uh, keep informed about future episodes. So thanks again so much for listening to Ordinary. Uh, my hope is really that with each episode, uh, we'll be able to understand another human being just a little bit better. So over and out.